0: Hello, sports fans, and welcome to a special, off-the-cuff, guerrilla, unplanned, unscripted edition of The Doctor Who Show Presents. I'm Rob. And I'm Dave. And today, Dave, you've been somewhere and met someone very special. In fact, you're not long home. We've got the mics on. Hit our listeners with it.
1: Yes, so Rob, you recall about three years ago, I went to a very large comic-con style convention here in melbourne to meet peter capaldi and after Mm. which i said never ever again would i give that company my money
0: Mm. what was it It was crowds it was all sorts of things crowds
1: cost management it was was not a pleasant experience peter capaldi aside who obviously was great Mm.
0: Mm.
1: then they announced a few weeks ago that they were doing another one and they had christopher eccleston right and so I gave them my money.
0: <laughs> <laughs> of course you did.
1: I <laughs> and look, it, 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 it was an obscene amount of money, even just for an autograph. Yeah. I was very hesitant, but look, he is, as you know, my favourite of the new Doctors. And, you know, I was thinking about it. When, when I got Davison and McGann's autographs in my book, mm-hmm. and I then had Doctors five, six, seven, eight. I can remember thinking at the time, that could be it. Yes. Because I'm, I'm not going to get Tom. I just accepted I'm not going to get Tom and uh, I thought getting any modern doctor is going to be very, very hard, particularly Eccleston because he doesn't do a lot of Doctor Who conventions.
0: Yeah, when we're talking in person, of course, I mean, because Tom signs any bloody thing and sends them all over the world, but you mean actually seeing him in front of you. Actually, actually seeing him, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: absolutely. But, But since then I've met Peter Capaldi and I have now met Christopher Eccleston, so that was very exciting.
0: Well, let's go through it, because I think there would there was a QA and a as well, but the signing was first in the day?
1: Uh, yes, yeah, so the signing was the first thing that I did. He was doing photos and autographs. Mm-hmm. So to give listeners a bit of an idea of the costs and the time involved, uh, Equiston was only doing the Melbourne League of the Con and only doing today, this Sunday. So only one day. That one-day ticket was about $40. Right. An autograph with him, $190. Ooh. A photograph, $200. Yeah. So for, for UK listeners, you can sort of halve that and give you an, an idea. So you're looking at £100 for all of that. Or you could buy a VIP ticket, which got you front of the line and a photo and an autograph, which didn't cost that much less than just buying a photo and an autograph, I've got to say. It was $450. Oh. So serious, serious money here. And, and look, I will just again give a bit of a kicking to the modern Comic-Con style convention, because I'm not a fan. Mm-hmm. And 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 the days of sort of going along to cons, having a leisurely time, you'd be guaranteed you'd get to see the guest and get an autograph. It was all sort of very relaxed. I, I very much not what happened here. I got there before the event started, and I spent 40 minutes in the queue to get in the building. Right. To make, to make sure I was quickly into the building. Now, because of my experiences last time, I then went directly to the Christopher Eccleston autograph queue for his 11 o'clock autographing session. Mm -hmm. Um, And at that point, I was 12th in the queue. So I thought, you're looking pretty good here. There's an hour session in the morning, an hour in the afternoon. I thought, 12 deep, I'm going to be pretty good. Then I thought, oh, there's going to be a lot of Uber fans with jump-the-line passes. Mm. How how many of those can there be? Maybe I'll end up being 22nd or 32nd. Yeah. Uh, there were about forty-five of these people Ooh. with these ticket holders, yeah. and what the con was doing was, if somebody came along with a jump-the-line pass and some mates, they let their mates jump the line with them.
0: No, that's not. That's not on.
1: That was not on, but I just couldn't bring myself to be the guy to like point it out because, at least I was twelfth in the normal person cheap queue, mm. uh, but it was so 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 another hour before his autograph session started. Uh, then another 40 minutes while all the Uber fans who paid lots of money jumped the queue ahead of me. And then finally, I did get to the front of the queue and I did get to meet Christopher Eccleston. So two and a bit hours in a queue. Mm-hmm. Uh, not the way I really want to spend a Sunday, but it was it's one of those wonderful things. Like he, he was obviously trying to be personal and charming and engaging and look you in the eye and do all the rest of it. And also acutely aware there are hundreds of people in this queue to see him and he's got 20 minutes left in that session and just trying to pump them through whilst not being a dick. Mm-hmm. And he he did that balance, I think, as well as anybody could. He, he certainly took the time to acknowledge me, say a couple of things, do the autograph, thank me for my time, you know, make, make me feel like this was a personal moment, all of about 35 seconds. Right. Um, so it wasn't that personal experience, but that's not down to him. It's down to the, just the the sausage factory nature of cons. Yeah. Uh, at this point, my friend Mark, not not the Mark from 42 to Doomsday, another Mark in fandom, mm-hmm. uh, he, he, he'd rung me because he'd come by the autograph queue earlier because he wasn't going to pay money for an autograph, and, you know, fair enough. <laughs> and uh, he, he rang me and he said, the queue's already building for his midday Q&A session. Um, the moment you've got your autograph, get out get here now and join me in the queue. Mm. So so we did. Unfortunately, it was a bigger venue than last time, and I think Andy, what, who tried to get in, did get in. And I've got to say, his one-hour Q and A is one of the best I have seen from any Doctor Who actor.
0: Oh well, look. Before we get to that, I do have two questions. I want to backtrack a little. Yeah. The first is to play devil's advocate on on the the costs of these things, because we we listen to other podcasts where people lament, oh, it should be free or it should be ten bucks or something. But given how long that line was, Dave people paying 190 bucks a pop. If that autograph was free, how long would the line have been? Yeah, look, that's that's a really interesting point.
1: And I'm very aware that we're not going to get the number of guests and guests at the price that UK people do because mm. you, you're paying an airfare, not a train fare. Yeah. So, so I get that. And I also get that the price is a way to um, artificially limit demand for, for the autographs. But given that they really didn't seem to have capped sales, right. um, you know, it's, it's not as though they were being all that careful with demand, but you're absolutely right. If they were free, that queue would have been even longer. Uh, so it's, um, there's no perfect solution. I get that.
0: Yeah, because I do listen to these podcasts and they bitch and moan about it. And I think, well, the obvious question is, well, what if they were free? What would that look like? And no one ever wants to touch that because I think it's a bit of common sense that the line would be from here to Bendigo or something like that.
1: Look, that's right. But but by the same token, Peter Capaldi three years ago was a hundred. Right. Eccleston's hundred ninety and two hundred for 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 a photo. So it's it's real money, and there are definitely a number of fans that I know that just said, "I'm not paying that."
0: Yeah, fair enough. The second thing I wanted to talk about before we talk Q&A is I think the listeners will want to know a little bit more about your your feelings, you know. You're standing there, it's the Ninth Doctor, you love the Ninth Doctor, you can see Eccleston, you're approaching him. What's going through your head? Were you trying to think of a a line to throw at him, knowing you'd only have 10 seconds or 20 seconds with him? Or are you thinking, no, he's just going to sign the thing and, you know, say, you know, all right, Dave, or or something, and that's it? What what was going through your head?
1: I... Must admit, as I got a bit closer to the queue, I did actually get fan glee, and I was you know, really? almost <laughs> a kid again, like, oh wow, it's it's Christopher Eccleston, this is actually really quite exciting, because yeah. I'm a genuine fan of both his Doctor and him, I think he's a really good actor, and you ask what I sort of went out to say, and and it was that sort of, I wanted to convey a sense to him of... I'm, I'm not just, and I don't mean this in a pejorative sense, I really mm-hmm, don't, mm-hmm. like I'm not just a Doctor Who fan, I'm a fan of you and your work, and so I did sort of say, look, I'm you know, really pleased to meet you, and I'm a big fan of yours, I really enjoyed The Leftovers, I really enjoyed uh, Second Coming, and I, I really like your work, and so I think that, that was, yeah, that's that's what I said.
0: Oh, nice, and and he reacted well?
1: He did, he did, he he, he sort of, you know, took took that as a really nice compliment, and smiled, and, you know, oh yes, I'll make it out to David, yep, yeah, and Kind of trying to get through the motions as quickly as he could, while still sort of acknowledging what I'd said and saying hi, and and you know making it look as though he actually cared. Yeah, which, which is important.
0: It's tough in those situations. I mean, I've been to supernovas where I've been in that sort of scenario, but then I've I've been in other situations where there's been no cue for someone, and they're and they're happy just to talk and talk and talk. And wouldn't it be lovely if there was no cue for Christopher and you could just talk to him for ten minutes? But it's never going to happen. A-
1: absolutely. I mean, in fact, the. Actor in the queue next to Mr. Eccleston was a guy called Matt, Matt Duran, or Matt Do- Doran, or I'm not quite sure how it's pronounced, who has apparently been in a number of things I've never heard of, but uh, was advertised as being in Attack of the Clones. And uh, I must admit, when I read his name and saw that, I, I didn't know who he played, and I checked out IMDb, he's the guy that uh, tries to sell death sticks to Ewan McGregor
0: in the bar. That's He was a soap actor. I he think, was a soap actor, yes. I think yes. he might have been a Home and Away actor or something like that. Yes, yeah, yes. yes. Would, you like uh, to, would you like to make that sticks?
1: Yes, that, that guy. And I must admit, when I sort of looked across at him doing his autograph, line, I go, oh, yeah, that is that guy. Okay, he, he was in Star Wars, yep. Yeah. One, one scene, three lines, but yeah, that's cool.
0: I had that experience with Bonnie Pease, who played uh, the young Aunt Baru in Episode 3, and there was no one lined up for her at a supernova. This must have been like 2009 or 10 or something like that. And I talked to her for ages about, you know, working with George Lucas and things like that. It was really cool. Anyway, we're getting off track <laughs> and we do want to keep this nice and short.
1: Um, so I will just sort of say, though, um, on Christopher acknowledging people. Um, yes. For those, for those who listen to the Goodies Pirate podcast, Tom from that podcast was along and he he paid for that Uber fan experience. And so he's mm-hmm. at the front of the photo queue. And Tom came with a Patrick McGowan jacket from prisoner right uh with with a little badge and Eccleston when he when he saw him said oh you're dressed as the prisoner that's one of my favorite series so did get a did get a reaction there which was good
0: nice that is awesome yeah but then dave the q a did you get a good seat at least
1: i got a good seat we were probably six or seven rows from the front really good view they had proper video screens sort of up so you could either watch little christopher on the stage or videos of him sort of at the side so very good set, set up that that was done well and they had a host who's done a lot of cons down here to facilitate the q a and did remind people to actually make sure you have real questions and you've thought about them and you're, <laughs> you, you, you're not just here to gush and take everybody's time which was i think very appropriate and, and i've i've seen that not done it. it does lead sometimes to some frustration so that was well done
0: very good. I've seen that done once before. A Hayden Panettiere, she was the cheerleader in uh, Heroes, and there were some hard and fast rules given out before hers. But at some of them, yeah, it's been a free-for-all and a bit embarrassing at times.
1: A little bit, yes. A little yeah. bit. No, this was, this was very well run, and I will say that Eccleston was very, very interesting to watch. Right. Um, up there with Bruce Boxleitner, in terms of people I've seen in this sort of forum doing very, very well. Like, you know, I've seen Sophie Aldred in much more intimate forums, and and that's a whole different experience, or Elizabeth Sladen, you know, different experience. But in in this sort of real cookie-cutter, big auditorium, you've got an hour sort of thing, Eccleson's up there with Box Lightner, is just both passionate about the subject, genuinely interesting to listen to, but also clearly doesn't give a damn what people think of him or his answers and and gives you the unvarnished truth. And that was very honest. And I'll I'll give you some examples soon of some very (laughs) blunt comments that he he did make about a couple of things and people.
0: Oh, I'm looking forward to that. I was going to say, does it feel like he has his convention patter sorted out? Because, you know, convention people, they get their convention stories sorted out and then they just tell the same stories. Or does he feel like he's genuinely answering things for the first time?
1: There were definitely some of those very traditional questions that he clearly had got answers prepared for. You know, what monster would you have liked to have seen that you didn't get to see? And he's like, oh, the Santarans and mm. you know, stuff like that. He clearly had, had these questions before and, uh, and had answers ready to go. But for the most part, I, I didn't get that feeling, no.
0: Excellent. All right. Well, look, let's rip in because I'm curious and I'm sure our listeners are curious too. What did he get asked? What were the big questions? I'm sure there are some we're all thinking of. Did they get asked?
1: So, look, the one that I think everyone was expecting to be asked and was was the whole multi-doctor story thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he gave actually a very interesting answer on that where he said he wouldn't do a multi-doctor story, but not for the reasons I think we were expecting. Okay. The first was he felt that in his experience, multi-doctor stories have been a bit rubbish, a bit of a cash-in, a bit cheap. Wow. And and he, and, he, and he thinks that they're actually a bit too easy. And his view is that the script for Day of the Doctor improved significantly once the Ninth Doctor was taken out and they had to actually work out some new and clever things to do rather than just, we'll put three Doctors in a room and have them banter. Right. And he also said that he doesn't think it fits the Ninth Doctor's character to do multi-doctor. He said this is a very loner Doctor, a Doctor who walks alone, who does his own thing. And so whether it's Big Finish or TV... He's of the view of the Ninth Doctor is not a multi-doctor Doctor.
0: Well, folks, you've heard it here first. Everyone's been speculating about this for years and are still speculating about it as the 60th gets closer. He's not going to do it.
1: Yeah, look, it, it sounds not... And this, this wasn't just a, um, you know, Andrew Garfield saying he's not going to do Spider-Man. It, it really felt like a genuine, quite passionate answer about not wanting to do it, which was interesting. Uh, he had huge praise for Billy Piper. Mm-hmm. He said that Billy was by far the most talented actress in the room when he was doing Doctor Who. And he also said that he wouldn't want to do a big finish crossover with other companions, whether it was Martha or someone from the modern series or someone from the old. He said, again, my doctor worked with Billy and then with Rose. That is part of the character. It's integral to the character. And he doesn't see any interest in... Him just sort of hanging out with other companions.
0: Interesting, uh, yet I guess Big Finish does pair him up with people.
1: That's true. So um, I don't know quite how that'll work and what his veto mm. is, but um, he he did sort of he did give this idea of a very particular picture he has of his Doctor, yes, and, and that it is a very lonely, quiet, aggressive, determined sort of Doctor who doesn't just hang out with lots of people for fun.
0: Interesting. Did anyone bring up the you are only doing Big Finish for the cash? I mean, he said it himself originally.
1: Uh, He didn't say that. He said that he's actually starting to really enjoy Big Finish and that it's giving him a chance to do a few things with a character that he perhaps hadn't been expecting. One interesting comedy he did make in regard to that is he said in his view there are only three Doctors who hit the ground running and were not significantly better in their second series than their first being Hartnell, Troughton, and Tom Baker.
0: Interesting.
1: So he, his view, and we've discussed this on the podcast before, that most Doctors are a lot better in their second season than their first. That's right. And he was very much of the view that that was the case and actually seemed a little bit sad that he didn't have that chance to do that second season and and be even better as the Ninth Doctor and that maybe now that he was doing Big Finish, he was starting to feel that he could do a bit of that.
0: Interesting Yeah look Because I've I've started to think A a bit about this As he's going to be doing More Big Finish in the future He did come out and say Look quite frankly In the year of COVID I needed the cash I've got kids to pay for You know he's he's divorced From his wife Or at least separated He's got kids He's got to take care of I needed the work And people do get upset When people talk about this Because they don't want it To think of it being A cash grab But I think that's what it originally was because that's what he couched it as. But I do wonder if as he's making more, he's now actually warming to the idea of, oh, I can make these audio things and they're kind of fun. And people do sort of love that I was the Ninth Doctor the more conventions I go to around the world. And here he is, you know, at the far end of the world. I mean, you can't go much further. Probably New Zealand, perhaps. Um, And and we all love him down here as well. And maybe that sort of love is, you know, being reflected in the way he's approaching Doctor Who now.
1: Yeah, I certainly got that feeling from him. It was very interesting listening to him because he's somebody who is, as we know, very much steeped in his working-class Salford roots. And he talked Mm. about that a lot A lot of his answers actually came back to that and reflected that. Uh, For example, when he was asked, if you could really travel anywhere in time and space, where would you go? He said, I'd want to go back to Salford in the 1920s and the 1930s and see my grandparents and my parents growing up in that time and what life really would have been like for the poor people in Salford in in that era of of time, which was a very interesting, and I think quite more personal answer than you get from, from a lot of doctors to questions like that.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and also he got some questions about acting and everything and I'll lump sort of some answers together here because he did talk about his craft in a very thoughtful way as you would expect a career successful actor to do but he also said that he also sort of a couple of times he said look I'm going to sound pretentious here I'm sorry I don't mean to be pretentious and he was sort of very aware he didn't want to be one of those over the top, you know, talking about their craft type actors.
0: I'm an actor. Yeah,
1: and, and and he said, you know, when I when I did when I did Macbeth, I think it was it was when Macbeth he did certainly when he's done Shakespeare, he said, Look, I can do all the acting and I know how the different things work and relationships with an audience and all the rest of it, but I'm not an intellectual. I don't sort of talk about what's the thought process happening in this character's mind that's got from here to there. It's all about the actual acting in, in the role and that with a different audience each night in the theater, you can get a different sort of performance from an actor. And and he talked about how on TV he treats the camera as a third person. And the way that he interacts with the camera changes depending on the character. So when he did do something like The Leftovers, he really treated the character as an intimate sort of companion that he could be very natural with. Whereas when he was with Doctor Who, he was always very aware of where is the camera. And how can I perform to this camera? Mm. And, and and so he had sort of different ideas there. So it, it was very much about the craft, but in a much more practical way than I think some actors talk about. Uh, he did say that one of his favourite scenes was that interaction with the Dalek, that, that first time he confronts the Dalek in Dalek, how he had to be both angry and terrified, but also, in his words, cowardly and... Mm showing the Doctor's negative side and this angry, cowardly, bullying aspect that the Doctor can have if it's not under control and how he really enjoyed doing that. So I thought that was very interesting. Um, a couple of the more controversial things he said.
0: Oh yes, please.
1: Uh, he was telling one anecdote at one point about turning up late to the uh, reading of the, the script for Dalek and he said that uh, it was the fault of the director who uh, had been keeping him busy with his previous story and, quote, this man couldn't direct piss into a bucket.
0: (laughs) That's some Salford coming out right there. Very,
1: very much so. He was uh, very very uh, brutal What he thought of that director. He got a question about Marvel and after the question had been asked, he looked at the the, the question and said, you're talking about Thor, aren't you? (laughs) Yes. I was hoping that wouldn't come up. <laughs>
0: right, and
1: uh, he did. He did say that he felt very unhappy with uh, the Thor movie that he did. Thor Two. Mm-hmm. He said that he was very much misled in the negotiations. They said a number of things about the plot and the aspect and the character that weren't true, and they completely misled him on how much makeup time would be required. He said, "I thought I was going to be doing this fun comic book movie, and instead, I spent six hours a morning in makeup to be completely hidden, and then have this." really bizarre, not very good script, basically mm. treated like Shakespeare. And yeah. and he said the director was really trying to do something and couldn't do it because of what the Marvel powers that be wanted to do. He said that Chris Hemsworth, who was a lovely guy, like down to earth, just a good bloke, was always trying to, hey, could we do a bit of a joke here? Or maybe if we did this this way, it would be funnier. And the, the Marvel powers were being like, no, that's not the movie we're making. And Eccleston said he wished that he could have been in Thor Ragnarok because that's clearly what Hemsworth wanted to do and what they all thought the movie should have been, that much more fun, interesting, witty kind of film.
0: I was um, about to say just that. It sounds like he would have had a better time with Taika Waititi.
1: That is basically what he actually said, so, so wow. that was very good. Um, and he, and he did say he had a real problem with the Marvel higher-ups and the, the way that they treated... You know, secrets and plot outlines and they'll sit him down and go, now, we need to explain to you that we can't tell you this. And he's like, nobody cares. Nobody cares. Stop, mm. stop being so precious about this stuff. So uh, that was really good. But he said he'd go back to Marvel if he didn't have to spend that much time in makeup. So we'll see.
0: Oh, I'm not sure he'd get asked back with the way he's been talking about him, though.
1: No, probably not. Um, mm. John Barrowman was brought up. Really? Um, now, this is interesting because... We keep thinking people, people like us who do podcasts or involved in various parts of Doctor Who Twitter, we kind of feel that, feel like everybody is everybody's up to date with the gossip, which obviously isn't the case. A lot of people are just f- fans, and they don't know that you know what the latest Twitter scandal about John Barryman is. So at one point he was asked, "Do you wish you could have done some Torchwood?" And he said, "Well, who would be in it?" And they said, "Oh, you know, maybe the new people like um, Ianto and and everything's in." Oh, yeah, well, that, that's fine. I enjoy that as actors. As long as it's just them that's in it, I'll do it. And Ooh, okay. then later on, somebody said, we know Rose is your companion, but w- would you have liked to have spent more time working with any of your other companions? He said, Rose is my only companion. And they said, well, no, like you had other companions like like Captain Jack. He said, no, Rose was my only companion. And at this stage, a few of us were sort of like looking over this question thinking, stop now. (laughs) And she kept going, oh, you know, there was Captain Jack. no, I'm being very clear here. I don't want to work with them. Rose was my only companion. And when you consider that, obviously, Mickey was another one, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. he he (laughs) made it very, very clear without saying it what he thought of uh, those people who were not Billy Piper.
0: Oh, that's huge. Wow. Okay.
1: Um, And just in terms of some other stuff, he was asked, are there any other pop culture or iconic shows or, or or franchises you'd like to be in? And he said he would have loved to have been in the attempted relaunch of The Prisoner. Okay. And he said that what they made was a bit of a disaster, and he's glad he wasn't in the end. He said Children of the Stones, which yes. is a very obscure little show from with um with Gareth Thomas from the 70s. He said he would love to do a re-bit of that, and he said he would love to play Cat Reasel.
0: Yeah, yeah, he could do it. He's getting old enough now to do that, I think.
1: I think so. I think he would be a fantastic cat weasel. And he also said that the show he's currently working on, Dodger, is the favourite thing he's done for TV in a very long time. And how much he's enjoying that. In his words, we took the middle class blonde kids out of this, out of the Dickens story and we just focused on the really cool working-class people, Fagan and Dodger and, and and the poor people and Nancy and Bill Sykes, we, we, you know, the interesting characters. So we've got rid of the middle-class blonde people and we're doing the interesting working-class people. And uh, he said that he's really enjoying working on that. Now, given that season one of that is currently being broadcast in the UK, he did say, I am working on this, and an announcement will be made very soon relating to me working on this. So uh, I think that could be a bit of a scoop depending on what's actually out there already
0: <laughs> oh yeah i'm look i'm looking forward to seeing that actually i think it could be interesting
1: yeah i'm I'm very very keen it's it's a very interesting concept it's obviously being done as a cbbc production so i don't know quite where it's going to be pitched um but yeah now i'm very interested to see that and, and look christopher eccleston playing fagan is just a wonderful idea that i need to see awesome so Rob, they're really the the main things that I've been able to scribble down and that I remembered from his Q and A. But what I was really left with was a feeling that I'd got to meet and learn about Christopher Eccleston. I really got to see that that working class chip on his shoulder. He, he said, "I've got two chips on my shoulder. I'm perfectly balanced." He he gave his views on the monarchy and he gave his views on um, certain political leaders. And right, you, know, yeah. you know, I felt like I got to see the real Christopher Eccleston and. I really walked away with a much better impression of how much he cared for the Ninth Doctor and how invested he was in the Ninth Doctor, and and also the things that that sort of went along with that. And and I think perhaps we've often thought that Eccleston sort of walked away quite angry and dismissively, mm. and and maybe he did walk away quite angrily. And the, as I say, there are some things he's not got fond memories of, but he's obviously very aware of the character and a lot of fun for the character. And the final thing I'll say is he's got a huge regard for Russell T. Davies. There were a number of times where somebody said, I really like the way you did this or you said this. And he said, no, I need to stop you. Russell T. Davies did that. Or Russell T. Davies wrote that line. I'm just the actor. Russell needs the credit. And he then sort of went on at one point to sort of do a bit of a a monologue where he said, I want to support what Alan Rickman said when Alan Rickman won an award. And he got up and said, I didn't win this award. My character did because the writer wrote a good character. And Eccleston said several times that he doesn't want to be one of those actors who's like, yeah, I gave an awesome performance and I did this one and I did this line." He said, no, no, no. I have had great writers and I've given the performance for the characters they've written and I don't want to take credit for their work. So very passionate about his craft, but very down to earth about it as well, which was a really interesting balance that, frankly, you don't see from a lot of actors.
0: Yeah, I was going to use the word balance because, you know, he's been out there at conventions saying, you know, I left Doctor Who because I had an argument with the showrunner and, you know, other higher-ups. So he has made it clear that he did have a blue with RTD. Some people on Twitter these days seem to think, oh, no, he's really great mates with RTD. It was other people he argued with. No, no, he really argued with RTD as well. But for him to still be able to credit RTD's writing ability and all of that, I think that shows great balance and and a really top bloke, actually.
1: It it really does. And the impression I walked away with was that he loves RTD as a person and he loves RTD as a writer and a creator, maybe didn't quite get on so well with RTD as a manager.
0: Right. Okay. And and when,
1: when you think about some of the issues that came up on those sets that we can probably say with hindsight RTD didn't deal with as well as he could have, that that probably is a reflection of that management on the set and that working with certain directors rather than RTD as a person and as a creative.
0: Mm. All right question to finish with very unfair question given that this is a new fresh event in your mind and you obviously have had a good time how does it relate or how does it reflect on uh, meeting other doctors going back decades I know it's very hard to compare something that happened 20 years ago with something that happened earlier today how does it how does it all fit in? Was it the most interesting doctor you've seen? Most insightful? How does it? How does it fit in?
1: It is hard to compare because I think about I've met Colin Baker twice and met him and spoken yes. to him and spent time with him. So did I feel as though I got on as personally? And it was he as lovely as Colin Baker? No, I can't can't say that. But but in terms of the combination of passion and honesty, I think he's probably the top of the list. Wow. In in that Colin Baker, for example, you know, his career's done. He's basically retired. He doesn't mind what people say, but Colin is a very polite gentleman. Mm. And, and so he's very careful about what he says. Peter Davison uh, is happy to throw a few spears, but kind of is clearly relishing doing it when he does. Um, <laughs> and Peter Capaldi is still a working actor who still has to keep his bridges not burned. Um, and and it's, again, probably a bit more old school. Whereas with Equiston, the thing that we all think we all walked away with was just that was unvarnished, that was honest, that was the true man. And the feeling that I got, maybe it was just a really good performance, I don't know. But the feeling I got was that we got answers as an audience that were the same as if an individual person had just chatting to him at the pub, and, and and ask the same questions.
0: Oh, that's marvelous. Well, look, thank you so much for turning your mic on and chatting with me this afternoon about it. Because I was I was keen not just for the show, but actually to hear your experience anyway. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, thank you. It, it it sort of all came out of um out of nowhere. We only found out about him a few weeks ago, and yeah, I, I walked away very very happy. Um, which, given the number of queues that I stood in, <laughs> and the length of time <laughs> I stood in the queues, you know, is 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 quite a feat. I will say, though, that I I genuinely do feel sorry for, no doubt, a number of people who didn't turn up ready and expecting what I I knew I was going to get and and didn't rush to queues and very possibly missed out on stuff they paid for or expected. And that's, that's a very sad aspect of modern fandom. But, hey, I got to meet my favorite new series doctor, which is something I never expected I'd do. So, you know, it was a good experience. I'm happy.
0: Brilliant. Well, look, on that bombshell, join us next weekend for The List Makers, where we look at top five mistakes in Doctor Who. But until then, Dave, uh, I guess I've been Rob. And I've been Dave. You've been you. <laughs> Very good. And, and Christopher Eccleston's been Christopher Eccleston. Fabulous. <laughs> All right. Speak soon. Bye now.
1: Bye.